Welcome to But Heard Lyrics, the show where we delve into the meaning and politics behind the songs of War on Women and other artists you actually love. I'm Shauna Potter, singer and lyricist for War on Women, and your host. This time around, we're talking about an interesting phenomena? Warning? Time travel technique? Okay, actually, it's a type of hydrological landmark commonly referred to as a hunger stone that I read about online when it randomly showed up in my feed, and it was so intriguing that I grabbed my lyric book and started jotting down notes. Now, what they are, why I found them intriguing, and what I wrote down in my lyric book It's all going to be covered in my interview coming up with historian Mike Dash, who you might remember was the very first official guest of But Her Lyrics. Uh, He helped me break down the song Aqua Tofana on episode one. So definitely listen to that if you're into Italian history, uh, poisons, uh, misandry, as I assume all my listeners are, and satirical thought experiments about a world without men. Uh, Anyway, I've invited him back to talk about all things Hunger Stones. But before I can chat with Mike again, Patreon! We got a question from one of our sponsors, Pupcakes and Postries. Uh, They ask, how does the band go about choosing the set list for shows? Do you mix it up per show or stick with a set list for a tour? That's a good question. It does vary. Um, We... (laughs) I won't say that we never get in arguments about it, (laughs) but uh, usually what we do is just sort of consider what are we playing well right now, because that can change, Um, especially for a band like us, where sometimes people have to work and they can't go on every tour. And so maybe we have a fill-in or a sub and they know some songs better than other songs. So we're always just considering what are we actually good at right now? Is there a new album that we need to try to play songs from to promote it? And who are we playing with, right? Like, if we're playing with a band, if we're opening for a band that's like all D-beats, then we're probably going to go heavy on the D-beat. If we're playing with Cave-In, we can play some more like weird, strange, uh, and heavy songs, right? I wouldn't say that we drastically change who we are or anything. And sometimes the set lists don't change between bands like Cave-In or Bad Religion or who, or Baroness, you know. Um, but we at least are mindful of what the audience might want. And maybe they want more of what they came to see, or maybe we think they want something different that will shake up the night. So we consider all the things, but I would say the, the final requirement would be that we have to be playing it well. If we, if we just aren't playing it well, then we strike it because it's not worth it. That's kind of kind of long-winded. Sorry, Pupcakes and Postries. Um, you know, you can also ask a question or request a shout-out or a topic or whatever by signing up for my Patreon at patreon.com slash Shauna Potter. Now, one of the behind-the-scenes things I like to share with patrons is screenshots of my lyric book. So you can see me working almost in real time uh, through lyrics uh, or see the original ideas or the lines I've crossed out that are just terrible and um, hopefully, hopefully improved upon. And while this isn't a song yet, I'm still going to share the page out of my lyric book where I scribbled down notes about hunger stones. 
It's right next to the page where I wrote down my first lyrics for big words in the same pen even. So I'm guessing I was exposed to this topic around January of 2019. And I have yet to be fully inspired to write a song about hunger stones. Uh, you know, I don't know that I found my connection to it, but maybe that will change after my interview with Mike. Mike Dash is a London-based historian, a journalist, an author, a teacher. I'll put some of his links in the show notes. And he's a pleasure to talk to. And here he is. Interview time! Mike Dash, welcome back to But Her Lyrics. I'm so glad that you're here. Very happy to be here. You're one of my favorite guests, and I think you're a fan favorite uh, for the three people that actually regularly listen to this podcast. Um, so it was you were at the top of my list for people to tap on this season when talking about things that I think maybe could or should be worn women's songs, but just for whatever reason aren't yet. And one of those things is hunger stones. So, Mike. What is a hunger stone? Well, I mean, I, I suppose we should start with you know, the general, um, generally accepted idea of hunger stones. Hunger stones are large carved rocks that appear in rivers, mostly in what's now the Czech Republic and uh, Lower Germany, during times of drought. And certainly, if you read about them in, in, in most of the sources, they are normally regarded as sort of you know commemorations of tragedy, dearth. They've got um, they've got all sorts of um, horrible inscriptions on them along the lines of "We cried, we cry, and you will cry." Very metal. <laughs> uh, they're sort of kind of you know, commemorations and dreadful warnings for the future of um, you know poor conditions, uh, normally drought. So obviously today, you know, with climate change, we're paying a lot more attention to them. Um, and they have become increasingly popular as a sort of cultural artifact online uh, over the last four or five years. How common was this practice to inscribe warnings on rocks? Well, I mean, the, the hunger stones of a sort of, you know, the genuine article are restricted to the Rhine and the Elbe rivers. So that's in sort of central Europe going from the Czech Republic sort of through Germany up towards Hamburg. We know a few dozen examples. Um, most of them are in what's now the Czech Republic. There are sort of similar or equivalent types of carving. I mean, there's one set that exists um, on a river in Pennsylvania, for example, but they're not quite the same sort of thing. Um, and the originals date back, I think. I mean, the earliest one that we have some record of is around about just after 1300. Hmm. Um, but they were most commonly carved um, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Are there other versions of this in different cultures? Like maybe not, uh, you know, the water line goes down, you're in a drought, here's a warning. Is there, is there some something else, that, like common warnings that you would only see when things are already bad? I'm not familiar with anything else sort of associated with, with, with water, with the exception of these um, American... Um, petroglyphs that I mentioned. So these come from the um, Susquehanna River. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. In Pennsylvania. That sounds good to me, yeah. <laughs> Although it, it is a site of German immigration. They're actually associated with some of the indigenous peoples, the Shanks Ferry peoples. And they are um, a series of petroglyphs that we can't really interpret. But they have been, in, they have been, it's been suggested that they are similar to hunger stones in that they 
they marked low watermarks, which had effect on the crops that were grown by this agrarian people. They grew what were called the Three Sisters, that's uh, maize, beans and squash. And so they could potentially be commemorations of, of drought, but they could equally well be boundary marks or navigation aids or something like that. Until we can translate the petroglyphs or interpret them better, we can't be sure. And you know, much the same thing applies to the hunger stones, actually, as I'll, I'll come on to in a minute. Oh, really? Because I, yeah, I wrote down, you know, I read some article and I wrote down in my lyric book, um, if you see me weep, uh, and then, and that's like a direct quote, I think, from one of these hunger stones. Yes, and then, that's right. And then some other things that I wrote down, my, my ideas just from the story is, have we learned nothing? What we learned, we let the water wash away, and all that's left behind is trash and bombs and grenades. So that's my very good poetic <laughs> lyrics for the song that has yet to come to pass. <laughs> and and you know, appropriate for, for where we are now. I mean, I think the thing to say is, I mean, you know, you're absolutely right. These sorts of inscriptions do exist. I mean, it's another one that says, um, when this stone sinks, life will become more colourful again. Or just one that says, uh, they, which is misery in German. <laughs> so, so certainly they do exist. Um, wow. The slightly tricksy thing about them is that these are actually folk etymologies. And that's a sort of technical term we would use for something where a later people put an interpretation on an earlier set of symbols or something ah. like that and um, assume that this is what it means. So, I mean, you know, the, the quotation that you just gave us, if you've seen Weep, uh, which appears on a sort of Van Zuys stone in the Elbe um, near uh, a Czech town called uh, Dechin, dates in 1904. Um, and it was carved there by an innkeeper during a period of drought. I mean, it's genuine in that sense. But the stone itself dates back to, to 1616. And it had a, a previous usage. So the most interesting and useful work that's been done on this was done by a guy called Elidor and a, a group of people he was running. And it appeared in a journal called Climate of the Past. And Elidor uh, says that actually these are originally um, hydrological inscriptions. They're, they're a set of markings that townspeople carved to mark the low watermark on rivers for navigational purposes dating back actually to the Middle Ages. Um, but they were normally ordered to be put in place by you know, the local judge or hydrological official. Um, and although, yes, some of them do have those rather romantic and, and, and doom-laden and memorable inscriptions, uh, most of them say things like, direction which translates into Hydraulic Engineering Direction 1842. That's a much more common type of inscription <laughs> on these sorts of stones. So they, so you're saying that they, they might have just been like the rulers we see coming out of rivers that are like zero that, up to that's whatever. That's exactly what they were. I mean, okay. so to be clear, you know, I mean, climate uh, uh, scientists can use them to show where droughts occurred um, because right. they mark the lowest of low watermarks. So they're sort of like a baseline, essentially. Um, but they weren't originally associated with sort of doom-laden prophecies of, of uh, disaster to come. Um, they were just sort of fairly fairly straightforward markings which were applied by the local bureaucracy essentially to, to aid navigation and to um, allow them to, to measure water levels. Are you saying that we've gotten something from the past wrong in our telling of it in the present? <laughs> I'm saying that, well, no. I mean, you know, I mean, to be clear, like, I mean, folklorists would, would, would say that's a very um, parsimonious interpretation. I mean, you know, to, to repurpose things and, and give them new meanings is, is actually something that folklorists are very interested in studying. And, and they have considerable meaning. I mean, if we are taking them separately or applying warnings now, 
then that, you know, they have meaning for us that is separate but no less valid than the mm. meanings they used to have for the hydrological engineers of, the, of Bohemia uh, who originally made them. I like that idea because I, I something that struck me about these hunger stones is that there's almost this weird element of time travel to me. Someone in the past writing this thing, if you see me weep, telling people of the future, giving them a message. And I think that that aligns a little bit with what you just said of uh, we might have a separate meaning than the original when it was written, but it's still as valid and we're still getting something out of it. Yes, and you know, we're, we're paying more attention because it's more serious. I mean, it was pretty serious if you were living in, in the Czech lands in, in 1300 and there's a drought, but obviously we're facing something more apocalyptic than that. Um, and that would help to explain why certainly they're, they're becoming a landmark online, so to speak. I mean, there's a huge amount of um, retellings of this story that have, have been popping up, and almost all of them date from sort of about 2015. So they're, they're definitely acquiring a new meaning. You know, when, when, the, when the innkeeper carved the inscription you're referring to back in 1904, I don't think he was doing it as a joke. Mm. He was doing it in response to a drought that took place in 1904. So, yeah, I mean, they, they shift meaning but the meanings themselves remain you know, useful to people who are looking into the past. And they just, to have different meanings makes them more useful, arguably. Is there anything else uh, we should know about them? Uh, anything cool you came across in your, in your research? Well, I mean, I, I suppose that the only other thing to say is that, you know, there are actually, I mean, yeah, and this is me as a, as a historian speaking, so to speak. I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that, you know, these are actually tremendously valuable records. I mean, this mm. may not mean much from the point of view of, of, of song lyrics, but in terms of us understanding, <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, but in terms of us understanding climate change, we need records like this. Mm. And actually, these markings that sort of show low low water lines are some of the longest running and most useful series of scientific data that we've got. I mean, because we've got them going in, in Cairo, for example. There's a set of data that go back to 622 uh, and end in 1933. So that's over 1300 years of continuous data. I mean, it's, you know, Scientists can do a huge amount with that sort of information. There are similar series in Europe that are located in Magdeburg and, and Paris. So although that might be a little bit dry in a sense, without that, we wouldn't have the data to tell us as much about what's going on now. And we need that data for sure. So I am okay. interested in the, in the idea that people have been keeping these records going back to the, you know, I mean, 622 is before Islam emerged, about 10 years, 12 years, before Islam emerged from, from um, Arabia and conquered Cairo. So that's a very, very old series of data. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was just a cool story from olden times. I didn't know how how valuable the, uh, and how, how much data was contained in, in these things. That's amazing. Mike, tell everyone where to find you. Uh, you can find my history online at mike-history.com. Uh, and that's probably the best place. To so I write about this sort of stuff uh, on a semi-regular basis there. Well, thank you so much again for joining me. It's always a pleasure. And um, maybe I'll need you next season. So stay on your toes. <laughs> always glad to hear from you, Sean. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again to Mike Dash for joining me. Always great to have you as a guest. We appreciate you taking the time. Well, I might just have an angle to write this song now. I love the idea that a form of communication could serve as time travel, um, messages being exchanged from the past. That's really, really cool to me. I'm also gravitating towards the idea of these warnings being a bit anarchic, like 
that people are trying to take care of themselves and future generations without the help of the government. Now, I'm not saying that's how Mike explained them or anything or that he was alluding to that in any way. Uh, it's just what I'm interested in. <laughs> and of course, this is a show about the politics of social justice issues. And if you're wondering, how is this political? Well, just look to the climate change deniers, big oil and other corporate polluters, and the politicians who would rather line their fucking pockets than save the fucking planet. Things are dire. And if we don't heed the warnings of the past and the present, <laughs> there will not be a future. So yeah, it's fucking heavy. I'm sure it's hard to hear. It's definitely hard to say. What I don't want to do is make you feel so helpless that you do nothing. So in the show notes, I'm going to put a link up with 10 things you can do to help save the planet right now from the World Wildlife Fund. Uh, so check that out. It's certainly not the end-all be-all. Uh, I'm positive it's not. And that's why I want you to go online uh, and comment on any post I make or, or just share it yourself. Share your go-to resources and your favorite organizations that are doing good work that you want people to know about. You can tag me and I'll reshare them or not. I don't care. I just want to live on a habitable planet. And it's good to feel like we actually can make a difference so that we don't just curl up in a ball and give up, okay? So share those resources. Let's save the fucking world. On a lighter note, if you beat me to the punch and write a song about hunger stones before I do, please share it. Or if you know of another artist that's done it, of course, share those links. I want to hear it. You can support this podcast by sharing, subscribing, and reviewing it. It's free to do, and it really does help. To find the transcripts or to find out more about what I do, my book, my trainings, my Patreon, head to shaunapotter.com. To learn about all things War on Women, head to our link tree at linkter.e slash war on women. If you have an idea of who I should interview next or what you want me to try to write a song about, message me on socials or make an official request on my Patreon. Thanks for listening. Rosie says hi. She misses you.